Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week we will discuss tools, tips, and ways to radiate your best life ever interviewing practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hi, and welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. We are here with Tracy Sorrell, um, children's book author, and we're going to radiate gratitude today. I first heard Tracy's, about Tracy's work on NPR, the local affiliate, and I was so interested, I immediately messaged her from my car, and I said, would you please join me on this podcast? Welcome, Tracy. I'm so glad to connect with you. Thank you. Welcome. I'm, I'm glad to be welcomed, and I'm looking forward to our visit. Perfect. All right. So Tracy is the author of, now what, I'm sure I'm going to botch the title. Would you please That's say That's right. Sure, absolutely. It's We Are Grateful, Ojali Haliga, which is how you say we are grateful in Cherokee. Oh, that's so exciting because I heard you on NPR. It was uh, just right before Thanksgiving and um, mm-hmm. it was totally appropriate. So yeah, Ojali Haliga? Is uh-huh. that right? Liga. Uh-huh. Nice. Okay. So, and tell us, I, I know your background, but could you just tell us your, your background sure. and why you've got such an interesting, interesting title? Sure. Um, I'm an enrolled citizen of the Cherokee Nation. I grew up in Northeastern Oklahoma and that's where I currently live. Um, as of a few months ago, I, like I say, I grew up here, but then I've lived and gone to school and worked other places uh, until In the middle of September, I was living in the Kansas City area, and that's why the NPR affiliate there uh, interviewed me for this debut book that I have coming out. But I've since moved back to northeastern Oklahoma, where the Cherokee Nation is located, and I'm excited to be close to all of my family. Uh, I have a young son, and so it's nice for him to be around grandparents, aunts, and uncles, as well as the tribe. And so I'm excited about that. Now, were you raised with the tribe? Yeah. I mean, we have a 14 County jurisdictional area. So the tribe um, is spread out over a large geographical area. And I grew up in what's considered like the Northwestern corner of the tribal um, jurisdictional area. Now I currently live just about 30 minutes from the capital. So I'm quite a bit further south than where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And you're a lawyer. Yes, did go to law school, although I don't practice anymore, but I did work as a tribal attorney for a while. 
Okay, fantastic. And now you're yeah. back in back home and writing books. Mm-hmm. Yes. What was your inspiration for writing We Are Grateful? Um, largely, again, you know, kind of being that parent, um, I've collected ch- children's books for years. I was an avid reader as a child. My mom always told me stories or she'd read books to me and my brother and sister. But then when I got to be, it's probably an undergraduate, um, we were, I had a class and we were talking about the lack of inclusion of uh, mixed race children or children of color in um, children's literature and how really white it was. And I thought, really? And so I started at that point, really looking at picture books and kind of examining them more like who's in them and starting a collection of my own. Cause I thought, well, you know, someday I'm sure I'll be an aunt. And so I'll want to read to my nieces and nephews, not really seeing myself as a parent or anything at that point. That collection has grown, you know, over the years. Once I had my son, I found that I had lots of traditional stories from my own, you know, tribe, the Cherokee, uh, nation and I had them from other tribes, but I didn't have any that showed contemporary Cherokee people. Like there were no stories. There were, and I thought not fiction or nonfiction. I thought, what is this? This is. Now, are you talking about um, actual picture books? Picture books. So there yeah. were Cherokee pictures. So pictures I'm wanting to pull out. something off the shelf that isn't like first strawberries or how the Milky Way came to be. You know, something that's right. like you know, again a traditional story which is fine, but we'd read all those, you know, I have a a good collection of those. I'm like, where are Cherokee people now? Like we're still here. And what I found is that we disappear from children's literature. We also disappear from textbooks and classroom lessons after the trail of tears. It's like somehow the trail happens and we all just died. I'm like, but there's, you know, all these people, like we are the largest tribe in the United States, you know, we're the largest, Native nation. And I would say maybe us and the Zulus are probably the most recognizable tribes in the world. You know, like when you say, like it's, it's one of those names, like you say, and people always say, oh yes, Cherokee, you know? So I'm thinking, why isn't there a book? So I really wrote it out of that need as a parent and thinking about other, you know, Cherokee parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, and expanding beyond that to teachers you know, librarians, like someone's asking about Cherokee people and this is all they have to give them is, you know, something that happened, you know, again, you can bring them books up to like the 1830s. I was like, this is crazy. You know, I mean, we're in the 2000s and I have nothing to show. So to my, to my child, um, I mean, obviously I have stories, you know, of our family and, you know, obviously there's tribal newspaper and we have, you know, a TV program and all these things, but I was like, where's the book? There's a so TV program in Cherokee? Hmm? Sorry, there's a, t- there's a TV program in Cherokee or about yeah, Cherokee? It's called, it's called OCO TV, O-S-I-Y-O TV. You can just type it into YouTube. There's a whole um, set of programs that comes up. It shows on uh, the um, public television station here in Oklahoma. But you can buy DVDs of all the seasons. And it's wonderful because there are um, some Cherokee language, you know, aspect to it. They have young kids. Um, they're teaching Cherokee words, too. But there are wonderful vignettes. It's a TV program, you know, and it highlights 
aspects of Cherokee history, Cherokee culture today. There's all kinds of wonderful stuff in it. So I definitely would encourage anyone to, to check that out. And they're in 30 minute segments. So the book really came from saying, we have these other things, where's the picture book? And then saying, okay, I don't see anything. I've researched this. I've got to figure out how to write it. And so I joined the Society for Children's Book uh, Writers and Illustrators, which is an international organization. It's based out of Los Angeles, and there are regional chapters. So there is a, a Kansas, Missouri region. There's an Oklahoma region. You know, there's, um, and you can then meet up with them. There's conferences. There are, they'll organize people into critique groups, etc. So I started going to some conferences, reading a lot of blogs, books, et cetera, online, and, and learning how to write um, for kids. I mean, as you mentioned, I've you know, been an attorney, and so I've written legal briefs. You know, I've uh, worked in Washington, D.C. I did a lot of advocacy work, so I've written you know, testimony for people to give to Congress. I've analyzed federal budgets, you know, all these things. Writing for kids is definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. It's the most enjoyable but you have to be so precise with word choice. It has to be so engaging. There is not the ability to have lazy sentences, you know, because kids are so astute. I mean, they will just turn away. Adults, I think, tolerate poor writing better, but kids are like, no, this is, this is awful or I'm not interested, you know? Right. So uh, with this book, it was, like I say, one of those things where I wanted to show our contemporary culture. And so, you know, from the illustrations that Frenet Lessig did, you see, um, you know, it starts in the fall with Cherokee New Year and it goes through the four seasons. Mm-hmm. We, we start from a place of, you know, we're grateful for things about our culture, but also things that happen in daily life that any child, regardless of who reads it, can relate to. Mm-hmm. And those are things that maybe we're happy for, but sometimes we have to be grateful for things that aren't so wonderful. That's right. And be the loss of, of someone in our lives, you know, because we need to recognize that that person is still with us. We still have that love. We still have those memories that we've shared with that person. Um, but also being grateful for things that are difficult in our lives. And maybe that's, you know, a family member that's, being called the way to serve our country in the armed forces, which is one of the scenes in the book. Mm-hmm. Those, those things help a child not to just build resilience, but also to recognize that when they're sad or there are difficult times, that's how you not just rely on yourself, but you build those connections with family, you build those connections with community, that we all have to help each other through these things. Mm. And so I think that that's a message that resonates wide and far. You know, I know for myself, I, um, especially after having my son, I really got intentional about developing a gratitude practice on a daily basis. Because there times when I was like, oh my gosh, I can't take like one more day that feels like it's 40 hours long. You know, it's like, I've kept him alive. I've kept me alive, but I'm exhausted. <laughs> and, um, and you know, and of course then I was an, an older parent, you know, so I did not have the, the energy of, you know, the, the 20 something. Um, and I thought, um, okay, I, I need to be really intentional about this. So 
um, anyway, I, I've just been ecstatic by how the book's been received. You know, I've, um, I'm thrilled with that. And uh, the best part though has been being able to share the book with my son and all these other children, you know, the school is, I mean, that's why I wrote it, to be able to go and help children, you know, who are Cherokee to see themselves mm-hmm. and to help other children who are not Cherokee know that we're still here. We're your neighbors. We're your classmates. We live all over the world. You know, we are everywhere. And I don't think that's something that a lot of people, you know, understand. I mean, there are, you know, a ton of Cherokees where I just moved from in the Kansas City area, you know, and people there had no, no clue of that. So it's, it's just trying to add to the existing body of literature that's in children's literature that shows contemporary Native people. We just didn't have a picture book showing Cherokee people. And um, again, if you look at Frenet's illustrations, the children range from blonde hair, blue eyed to black. That's what Cherokee people look like. You know, that is, and so I wanted to make sure that was reflected in there because generally, you know, in the trade world, the author and illustrator never discuss anything. Mm-hmm. The editor is the manager of the process. You know, they buy my words. They hire an illustrator to illustrate her or his, you know, part of the story. And so, um, but with this kind of a book, because she's not Cherokee, um, we, I did have more interaction with her and helped her get, you know, research uh, resources and things that she needed to make the art. But that was one of the things that I said, you know, is that you, you have to make it look like who we are because we're dual citizens. We're citizens of the United States, but we're citizens of the Cherokee Nation first. And um, so we have different, you know, responsibilities um, coming from that governmental system and how, you know, our community operates and our tribal nation that are different from those of, of the United States. And so people want to make it a racial thing. It's not a racial thing. You know, it is literally um, citizenship. And you, and you see that back from early court cases and treaties, et cetera, that when different European colonizers, nations came in, you know, they signed formal legal documents recognizing they were dealing with the head of a state of another nation and what legal responsibilities on each side were that played out because of that. So um, I think it also opens the um, conversation up beyond just gratitude and how we can all be grateful for things you know, again, the book starts in fall with Cherokee New Year and goes through the four seasons, but it also helps kids to recognize that there is this modern, you know, tribal nation with a government, you know, people, there's a whole different reality that again is not, unfortunately not going to be taught in their classrooms, Mm-mm. you know, and, and most of their parents and their grandparents have no clue about this, you know, if they, if they're not connected to uh, a tribal nation themselves or live next to one. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I had shared with you, but my daughter is biracial and okay. she's, also, she's also part Native American. We're not sure what tribe because she was adopted and there's really no records. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm part uh, Chippewa myself. Okay. Um, but I've not really had any affili- affiliation because that's so far removed from this current generation. But yeah. something that, you know, so many, many Americans I think are, aware maybe this much 
of all the history. Yeah, no, we need to be aware of all of it. It's a travesty because mm -hmm, um, it is what it allows is for people to be sensitized to that these are folks in your community and there are things that are happening to them. I think that's one of the things that we saw with Standing Rock mm -hmm. um, is that people recognized, oh, you know, I mean, first of all, the pipeline was supposed to go up near Bismarck, you know, not, not as far down as it was. And the people in Bismarck said, oh, no, no, we don't want the pipeline up here. You know, you put it down, you know, uh, near the reservation lands. And so then it was moved down. But what um, I found so interesting is that people recognized, you know, it's not just what's happening to them. Like when these are leaks in the pipeline, it's flowing down the Missouri River. Uh, I live along the Missouri River. You know, I've got, you know, water that's coming out there. So, I mean, Kansas City, people in Kansas City were like, wait, this is going to impact us. It's like, yes. It is. We all are drinking, you know, we're all drawing, you know, water from this. We're eating crops that are being nourished by the water from the Missouri River. Yes, you know, this is not just something that's happening up there. And um, so, I, again, I think it's a way for people to recognize that, you know, you need to be aware of what's going on. You need to be supportive of the fact that, you know, indigenous peoples are looking out for, and, you know, and, the, and these native nations are looking out for things that impact all of us. And if we're not vigilant about those things, you know, then we all suffer the repercussions of those things. And, oh, yeah. um, so, and you know, we're much more closely related and, and interconnected than I think most people want to um, acknowledge some days or just don't stop and take time to think about, but, we, but we truly are. And, we, and it's, 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 it's better if we work together on those things and help our children to understand that, um, if you start segmenting, you start leaving people out of the equation. If you wonder why these people in your community aren't being heard, aren't given access what is the breakdown? How do we all suffer as a result of that? Mm -hmm. And because we all do, you know, there, there is a cost there um, by, by leaving people behind, by leaving systems behind. Ultimately, it is going to impact you. Because we are all connected. We are, we are. all connected. We are. We absolutely and are. I think for children like your son, like my daughter, mm -hmm. uh, people who may be treated as marginalized when they're not with their supportive family, right. um, people who look like other, perhaps. I think it's so important for them to have children's books that are represented, representative of them and the people that they know, the other kids that they know, just to have this model of inclusion, this model of, you know, there are other people who look like me who are important because they're in a book. Right. We tended, we well, tended, and, mm -hmm. oh, I was just going to say that Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop, R-U-D-I-N-E uh, Sims Bishop, Thank you. has done wonderful work on this. She's um, a scholar within the field of children's literature. And she talks about how books are uh, mirrors for children. Mm -hmm. They are also windows into other cultures, you know, worlds, etc. And, um, I think that's important, you know, and, and people have also added, you know, sliding doors that, you know, it kind of gives you access to places maybe you haven't been. And I think that's very true. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, if we look at the state of children's literature in 2015, there was a um, graph that came out, a uh, very visible representation, and it showed how white children have, uh, you know, 80 some percent of the market is reflecting them. And there's yeah. all these mirrors around them. And then about 12% is um, animals and dinosaurs and, and then inanimate objects. And then the other percentages are divided up among the other ethnic groups. And, you know, for native children, it is less than 1%. So it's about 0.9% of children's books reflect. Mm-hmm. So again, there's that sense of invisibility. Yeah. And if you lack the inclusion where you're not showing, you know, because I mean, our population of, of black people in this country, Asian people, you know, um, Latinx, you know, native, I mean, those are growing. And um, we are now for, you know, children, my son's age, he's in third grade and third grade and younger. I mean, we have a, majority minority population those kids are not you know majority white right in those grades and younger and so why is it that we would have children's literature you know and i I don't mean just children's literature i'm also talking about teen literature i mean if you Mm -hmm. look at kind of the canon of uh which they'll call the canon of literature that you know students read like in high school and stuff it's like why is it all this stuff that no one, I mean, like things I read in school, you know, that bear no relevance to these kids now, you know, when it's like, they're updated, great fictional books, you know, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, everyone can appreciate maybe some Shakespeare or something in a unit, but uh, I'm talking about, you know, things in American literature. And I, and I just want to go, we can update these things. You know, there are some wonderful books that have been written, you know, in the last 10, you know, 15 years that are way more representative of the reality these kids live in. Yes. Wonderful works that have been awarded, you know, that people have looked at and said, wow, you know, so like integrate those into the classroom, you know, integrate those into the home libraries. Mm -hmm. Again, um, I think it just helps all of us because I don't see the textbooks getting updated in a substantial way anytime soon. No, No. and I I like your point about uh, keeping the home libraries updated and having these books just be accessible rather than, look, children, here is a book that features Mm -hmm. diversity, and now we're going to focus on all the other books. Right. Have it as part of the yes. canon. That's yeah. just yes. part of the the stack of books that we bring home from the library or that Absolutely. we bring home. Yeah, I mean, my son doesn't. You know, I, I would never say to him, "Oh, it's Black History Month, so we're going to read all these books." You know, or right. I mean, the same thing with you know November. Oh, it's you know National Native American Heritage Month, so we're going to read all these books. No, we read books about everyone all year long because right. I don't. I think that this is segmented, you know, or um, I guess it's half of September to October is uh, Hispanic uh, Heritage Month, and I think Asians in May, something like that. And so it's like, no, you know, this is ridiculous. Okay, so then what? What does the default then say? I mean, what is the default of, of acting like that? 
then the rest of the year you're supposed to read just about white people. I mean, you know, that's, it's nuts, right? I mean, like everybody should be reading books about everyone all year long. Mm -hmm. And, um, and if you do that, then again, that sense of connectivity of including yourself and everyone else in that larger frame of humanity, Mm -hmm. the, the connection to each other grows. And I think also your ability to be grateful for your community grows exponentially, you know, because you have an investment in what is going on. You think about these people around you as part of who you are, you know, that you have seen them in books, you have sympathized, you have cried with these characters, you've laughed with them, you know, and so then when you encounter, you know, other folks in your community, you just go, yes, of course, this is part of my community. Instead of this kind of fear of other, you know, or these xenophobic tendencies that I see um, rearing their ugly heads again and again. And I just want to say, that's not, you know, a sustainable life way. I mean, it's not, you know, propelling us forward as a species and, um, you know, on a smaller level, on a micro level, you know, certainly not as a, a nation, meaning the United States. So I just, um, hope that through, you know, my writing and, and encouraging others to share their stories and, and being involved in the killer world to kind of keep pushing at that conversation yeah. that the more you try to keep, you know, people out of being able to share stories, the more you sanitize things, make it, you know, like middle-class settings, whatever. It's like, you know, you need to have a range of, of realities represented because children come from a range of realities. And even if they don't understand and haven't lived those realities, great. There's all kinds of worlds you can explore in a book, whether that's fiction or nonfiction through a variety of, of mediums, you know, maybe it's a graphic novel that gets that message across to a child. Maybe it's a picture book. Maybe it's a, a prose novel. Maybe it's a novel in verse, you know, which is a novel made up of poems there's all kinds of things, but there's such richness there that children can experience and connect to and love and enjoy. And I would say the adults around them, you know, as well, um, could stand to use it because I mean, I, I look again back at the books of my youth and children's literature. I mean, now is insanely better, you know, in terms of having so many more stories than when I was a kid, you know, and I like nonfiction, um, you know, it used to be really kind of like just very dry informational and, and, and what you have now is, you know, people who are really looking at how do I deliver this information again, all factual, you know, they're not fudging information, Mm -hmm. but presenting it in creative ways. You know, I mean, so many kids love expository nonfiction. Mm -hmm. My son does, you know, he wants to read about all kinds of different things, but not in a dry way. 
you know, so I, you know, I mix those books in as much as I do fiction, you know, as much as I do biography, all those things for him. And so I just think that intentionality is a huge part of whether you're practicing gratitude on a daily basis, as you mentioned, whether you are bringing forward um, a variety of books from the library, talking to your librarian about Mm -hmm. where are the, where are the other books? Yeah, exactly. Where are, where, where is this variety of books um, along class and race and, and, and gender and, uh, and disability? You know, I mean, there's just, there's numerous identities that tend to be marginalized and invisible. Um, and, and that leads to larger societal problems. So I feel like if we work with children at a younger age to bring them along in terms of of gratitude, connectivity, community, um, and fostering that sense of connection, our society as as a whole reaps the benefit of of having caring, concerned, and committed community members. Oh, absolutely. So these are pretty big themes that you're tackling in just this Mm -hmm. one small children's book, which is beautiful. I really encourage everybody to go check it out because it's just gorgeously illustrated. The the prose is just beautiful. The words are lovely. Um, the messages are big and all encompassing. So um, I really do enjoy what you've done here. And it's, you've packed a lot into this book. And you mentioned that you had some other book in the pipeline. Can you tell me about that? Yes. Um, so, but first, I'll let me show you. For those who haven't seen the book, so this is ah yes of the um, the cover. The actual cover is all these folks at a Cherokee stomp dance. Which, oh, wonderful! Um, done at our ceremonial grounds, and it occurs all night. But there's wonderful scenes in here. So since we're coming, on- yeah. For those of you listening on the audio podcast, you'll have to just go get a book. Yes, it's gorgeous. Oh, there's all winter. Yes. So and for every page where there's a Cherokee word, you have the pronunciation guide at the bottom. So you're not um, kept from being able to to say the words yourself. But there are audio files if you want to listen and have someone say the Cherokee word. uh, Those are available on my website at Tracy T R A C I Sorrell. S-O-R-E-L-L dot com. There's a link there. There's an activity guide and free coloring sheets, et cetera. But yes, I mean, I don't want to make it seem like everything that I'm talking about is just encapsulated in this book. I mean, I, you know, again, I see this as a body of work. There are many other authors and illustrators who are doing this uh, same kind of work, but certainly it is a theme across the work that I'm doing. And um, as I mentioned before, you know, I've, I've worked in advocacy and so I definitely have a social justice, you know, bent and work to yes. my life. And um, so my book next fall, I actually, you know, this was a, my debut nonfiction picture book. In September, I'll have my debut fiction picture book called At the Mountain's Base. And it's a 111 word poem. So it's not, uh, so it's more sparse in terms of text. And the publisher has um, hired a uh, graphics comics artist. So it's wonderful because whereas the, a normal picture book has a lot of, you know, double page spreads, 
she takes things and puts things in panels, you know, so there might be one word that's in a panel. Um, and it's just, it's wonderful how the text is, how she's taken. Cause I, I wondered how this book would be illustrated. I thought, you know, it's so sparse and there's so much packed into each word. How is this going to work? And, it, and it's amazing. I mean, just beautiful illustrations, but it talks about a family who is waiting for um, their family member who's a, a pilot. She's in battle and they're waiting for her to come home. Oh, so we have, and this is another aspect where again, I mean, it's a fictional poem, but you know, the majority of people in this country in terms of, you know, meaning the United States have no idea that um, Native Americans serve a higher percentage across um, all branches of the military than their actual percentage of the total population of the U.S. I did not know. High rates of, of service. And so um, with that being said, you know, it's again a way to use a book and bring that to light to share with children that um, with, with all that has been done in terms of um, treaties being violated, you know, the government uh, creating these boarding schools and taking, you know, our, our grandparents, great grandparents, great, great grandparents, putting them in schools, um, punishing them for speaking their language. You know, they're taken out of a family environment and raised in largely a militaristic type setting. Mm -hmm. All these things, people still are giving to this country. You know, they still are um, providing service. And so again, it's just another way to illuminate that. And um, so I've got, like I say, a number of fiction and nonfiction things on the way um, for, for the next several years. But it's exciting to, like I say, be able to go and visit with students and bring different aspects of uh, Native life, whether that's Cherokee or not, to their knowledge and awareness. And then during my recent school visits, when I was visiting schools that had high populations of Cherokee kids, that was so much fun because the kids were telling me, you know, other words, they'd point to things you know, I uh, had a PowerPoint presentation, so I'd have the art from the book and I'm reading to it, through it. And so they're, you know, saying other words that are in Cherokee or talking about how, yes, I get crawdads and, um, you know, my family, you know, we played stickball and my family goes out and um, gets wild onions in the spring. And so there's these things that they're able to see themselves in the book and their family and that just, you know, gave me so much joy to see that they could see themselves in the book. And then like I said, kids that don't see it, it it was priceless, you know? And, and so that's why I say, I'm glad the book, you know, has been well received with, you know, starred reviews and, um, you know, it's gotten the attention that it has. Uh, It got an award a few weeks ago from the national council of teachers of English, the Orbis Pictus honor award, which, uh, which honors excellence in nonfiction writing. But I thought, you know, I mean, the absolute best part is having a book that a child can go pick up off the library shelf. If it's in their classroom, they can go pick it up and read it. You know, they can have it in their home. That is the best part um, is Mm -hmm. that, you know, knowing and, and being able to then share it with them and to see those reactions firsthand is nothing's better than that. It it never will be. Never will be. 
So I have to ask, what does your son think of it? He loves it. He absolutely <laughs> loves it. Um, and he was so funny because I just got the Orbis Pictus stickers in the mail uh, this, this week. And so I put one on the book that I have in his room. And he goes, wait, what is that on the book, Mom? I said, well, that's the decal for the uh, award I was talking about. He goes, I am just so proud of you, Mom. He goes, I just thank you for writing this book for us. And, um, oh I mean, God. you know, it's like, yes, that, that this is why I wrote this book, you know, for you and all these other children. So he's so funny because um, he's always after me, like, what did I work on today? You know, which book am I writing for him now? <laughs> Um, because, you know, of course it's all his personal library, you know, and right. so, he's a good taskmaster. He's a very good taskmaster that way. Keep you honest. Yes, he does. Now, as you were working on the book, did you run things by him to see what his input might be? Yes. So one of the things that, uh, I learned early on in terms of learning how to write for kids is, you know, read what you're writing to children. <laughs> it, I mean, certainly picture books are meant to be read aloud. So they need to be read aloud to, to anyone, but kids are the preferred audience, right? I mean, that's who they're, you know, um, largely aimed at. And so, although I'm a firm believer that picture books are enjoyable at every age and you can always um, get something out of them. But if he, you know, like lost interest, his eyes, you know, glazed over, he turned his head, whatever. It's like, ooh, I need to work on those couple of words or that phrase or, you know, there was something there that was not keeping his, his attention. So he's a wonderful kind of first pass for me in terms of what's working or not working. I mean, I read it aloud to myself and, and I try to tighten it as much as I can, but then he's my like second round before it goes out to, you know, critique partners, etc. But with the this book, We Are Grateful, O Julie Haliga, I also had uh, the young woman who does the recording of the audio files for the Cherokee words on my website. She graduated from our tribe's uh, language immersion school. And so she also read every version and um, gave me feedback, which was wonderful. So I had a a slightly older child um, give that perspective as well. So it, it helped. It just helps a lot. Yeah. And speaking of the Cherokee language in your book, what uh, something I really appreciate about it is that not only does it have the phonetic spelling, but it has the. the very. Thank you. I was yes. for that yes. word. That's wonderful. As a linguistics major, I I just find it fascinating. I didn't even right. realize most that people, is a written language. Yes. Well, most people don't realize. So this is. For those of you who are online or listening, you won't be able to see this, but in the very back is a copy of the Cherokee syllabary. And that Cherokee language program helped me. Mr. Durbin Feeling, uh, one of the master linguists, went through and checked the syllabary, made sure I had the right usage for all of that. But Sequoia is the only person that we know of in the world who took a previously oral language and by himself created a written syllabary. So it's not an alphabet, you know. And I always tell this to kids because I said, you know, an alphabet is combining letters to make words. Um, 
I mean, in uh, English, I and A are maybe the two examples of that where they could be standalone words themselves, but everything else has to be combined right. to be a word. With the syllabary, there are symbols that he created or characters, and each of those represents a syllable. So on the front of the book, you know, you have the title in English, We Are Grateful. Mm-hmm. Then you have the um, transliteration or the English phonetics of it. Mm-hmm. Oja, Lee, Hey, Lee, Ga. And then you have the Cherokee syllabary of those six syllables. Oja, Lee, Hey, Lee, Ga. Wow. And um, so again, you know, with just these six, this is, this is an entire sentence. You know, this is three words that have combined. This is six syllable, the six syllables, six characters. And um, so when Cherokee people learn the language, they learn those um, characters, you know, and they learn the, the syllabary. And um, suffixes and prefixes that go on things to make, you know, different sentences, or maybe it's a word, you know, itself, maybe it's a phrase, maybe it's, like I say, in this case, it's an entire sentence. And uh, it's just fascinating. You know, I took, I didn't uh, learn Cherokee as a child. I took it in college. And so I have an an elementary understanding of it and um, can do some basic conversation. But, you know, the thing that I'm uh, excited about now too is that our tribe, like I say, has a language immersion school. They also offer online classes. There are, are numerous ways that you can learn the language now that, you know, just didn't exist when I was uh, growing up. And so for my son, I'm, I'm just excited that he has the opportunity to do things from a language standpoint, but also from a cultural standpoint that we, we just didn't have, you know, uh, when I was growing up. So it's, it's nice to come home and to afford him uh, the ability to be connected, not just to his family, but to his larger, you know, tribal community and family to the Cherokee nation. Right. That is so exciting. I'm, I'm really happy that you have that. Uh, is he doing well in his Cherokee studies? He, um, we're going to be starting after the first year. Like I say, we just moved down here in September. I've been on the book tour. And um, so that's one of the things that kind of for 2019, I was saying, you know, we're going to get, when they start their online program again, we're going to get him signed up for that. And he and I can work on that together. All right. So I have really appreciated getting to know more about you, about your background, this beautiful book. I cannot stress enough. It is such a gorgeous book. We are grateful. I'm going to try to say it. Otsali Haleka. Ojali Haleka. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, I knew I would mess it up. Okay, but we are grateful by Tracy Sorrell. And your website is tracysorrell.com, T-R-A-C-I-S-O-R-E-L-L.com. There are a lot of resources on your website. Um, the Cherokee language, there's a beautiful song sung in Cherokee. I think it was Celebrate, right? Yes. Yes, yes. by Cool in the Gang. The Cherokee National Youth Choir um, has a cd out of all these great you know r&b and kind of motown songs that they sing in cherokee <laughs> and so i was uh Frenet, the illustrator Frenet lessa asked she said i want to make a book trailer 
what song do you think we should use? And I was like, easily celebrate, you know, celebration by Cool and the Gang. It's one of my favorite songs ever. And they said um, the Cherokee National Youth Choir recorded it on their their CD, which is actually called Celebration. And you can get online at Cherokee Nation Gift Shop and, and order it if you want a copy. But, you know, they've got like Stand By Me, Lean On Me, all these things they sing in Cherokee, which are just, it's a beautiful language in here. I absolutely, it's my favorite Yay. language to listen to. And, uh, but if you go on my website, you can hear the book trailer. And so they're singing in the background. It's got the art from the book going by. And then you will hear, um, like I said, the young woman, Emily Chavez, who is the graduate of our immersion school. She is saying Cherokee words, you know, that appear in the book in the book trailer. So it's a fun thing I like to play at the end of the school visits to get the kids up on their feet, kind of dancing around, shaking the wiggles out. And uh, we have a good time. Plus, I love dancing and, uh, and yeah. singing. But if you listen to when, uh, towards the end of the book trailer, they say Ojali Haliga in the song. Now, if you know the words of celebration, there is no we are grateful in no. that song. So again, it's, it's one of those things I point out to students that translation from one language to another does not always sound, Mm-mm. you know, you will not get a literal translation word for word. You know, so ta- in talking about celebrating, you know, in that song, how it's translated in Cherokee is also, you know, we are grateful. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's funny because it comes at the time, you know, <laughs> when we have the, the artwork in there and it says Ojali Haliga and then you hear the kids singing that um, in the background. So it's one of those things I like to point out that awesome. uh, things get expressed differently in different languages. But, you know, ultimately we are all connected. And that's what um, I want to do through my work is show kids the, the importance of, you know, regardless of what messages they may be getting from adults around them, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's important for them, you know, in their path in life to see all of the humanity around them. And, um, and also, you know, to have themselves reflected you know, and to, and to be able to see themselves, you know, that's, that's important. Yeah. So important. Well, again, thank you so much for this beautiful work and for taking the time to meet with me and talk about this. And I just think it's an important message. I tr- truly appreciate it. Good. Well, thank you, Tracy. And I will say in Cherokee, Wado, which is how we say thank you for the invitation and um, the opportunity to visit with you about the book and to Um, Just spend time with Wado. Wado. Thank you. Radiate Wellness is a community of holistic and alternative healers and consultants based in the Kansas City area dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? 
If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.